Grace Point, how are you? Awesome. Thank you. It's good to be back. Uh, we spent the last two Sundays in Virginia, my wife and I, watching our two grandsons of our oldest daughter, Ashley, so that Ashley and her husband, Nate, could go to Israel for the very first time. And so they had a great trip, and, and we had uh, about 10 days of being Papa and Nana, and uh, we fed them, we changed them, we wiped them, we cleaned them, we bathed them, we, we worshiped, uh, we brought uh, a lot of this music, even we taught uh, my grandsons the song we were teaching, so we sing it, we're going to, first song we're singing at Easter, that, that's my king, and they were there dancing in the front room, then they really loved Run to the Battle. They really love Run to the Battle. My youngest grandson, he's going to be two, uh, on my birthday in June, I mean, he just couldn't help himself. He was like, well, I was like, yeah, yeah. The other one was jumping off the recliner and having a great time. Uh, we, again, played with them, took them to parks. We disciplined them. It was a long week. <laughs> and I have been reminded of an eternal truth. There is a strategic reason God gives little kids to young adults. <laughs> That's right. I was like... I got to go back to work to rest, but it was great. Uh, not great at six in the morning when my uh, oldest grandson climbing in bed with us or at 2.30 in the morning changing diapers, but that's part of the package deal. And we loved it. We absolutely loved it. Love those two boys. Um, we began last week, every week leading up to Easter, praying for Easter, praying for people in our lives that God has placed in our sphere of influence and pray for them and that they would uh, take the invite and actually come to Easter. So we began last week ch challenging you, hey, let's pray. Who, who has God put in your life? So we're going to do that before I begin teaching, just praying for those who we are going to invite that they would come. Now at the end of the service on the way out, you can get our, our new invite cards we have a Saturday Easter service and two normal Sunday services. You can pick up a card or so on the way out. But let's just stop and pray right now. God, we are excited for Easter, and I'm excited to already be working on the message for Easter of Christ and resurrection and the hope that we have because of him. So, Lord, we ask that your hand of blessing would be on all of us that you would place people in our mind and then have the courage to invite them to join us, sit with us for Easter. So, Lord, we just ask weeks out in advance that you would bless Easter, that all three services, everyone who comes will experience Jesus. So bless us as we begin the process of inviting. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This teaching series leading up to Easter is strategically uncomfortable. This is not a series, definitely not today, is you're going to walk out of these rooms going, oh, I, was, I was just so encouraged today. I love doing that. That's my, one of my spiritual gifts. But today is, this whole series is a reality check, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, or say that you are a follower of Jesus. Because this whole idea of Judas, you know, betraying Jesus and 
trading Jesus in, it's just hard for us to fathom. Like, dude, seriously? Of, of all that you experienced, of, you were there for so many of the miracles, and, and then you were there for the teaching after teaching after teaching of Jesus, and you would trade him in for, you know, 30 pieces of silver, which today would be 250 bucks. Seriously? And we're like, I can't even imagine that. In fact, the name of Judas is still so reviled today that if you lived in Germany, it is against the law to name your child Judas. Because they don't want that child to grow up with that stigma. You can name your pit bull Judas, but it's illegal to name your child Judas. But come on, let's be honest. Many of us are thinking, but I'm not him. There's no way. There's no way I would trade Jesus for anything. Really? This series is kind of slapping us in the face going, there's a Judas in all of us, if we're not careful, that we will trade Jesus in for a number of things. That's what we're going to talk about today. Turn to Matthew 16 if you have a copy of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles on the back tables if you don't have one and own one, you can take it. It's a gift. Or you can turn your Bible or Bible app to Matthew chapter 16. Now, let me give you some interesting facts about uh, Judas. In Scripture, in the New Testament, Judas is the only disciple to never refer to Jesus as Lord. He always refers to Jesus as rabbi or teacher, same, same word, rabbi, never Lord. See, Judas was a professor of following Jesus, but he was not a possessor of Jesus. Judas is the human picture of having religion without having a relationship with Jesus. Those are two drastically different things. And he was right there. He heard, he saw, he experienced. And still, he chose to trade Jesus in for some cash. Now, the driving factor in Judas's heart is money. It was money. Uh, that he, he was thinking, okay, I'm going to follow this guy. I mean, he, everything that I see, he seems like the, the Messiah, and I mean, he's healing people, and obviously we're going to need that if we're going to overthrow Rome, and, and this Messiah is going to set up his kingdom, and I'm in the inner circle, I'm in the inner sanctum of friends, and I'm going to perfectly position myself for a nice payday someday. Money drove his passion to follow Jesus. In fact, John later writes about Judas. He said, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, here's his forever reputation, the Judas Iscariot who was later to betray him, objected when Jesus' feet were being washed with very expensive perfume by Mary. He objected to this, saying, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Can't believe this. This is not right. John gives commentary. He says he did not say this because he cared for the poor. He didn't care for the poor. But he said this because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag for Jesus and the disciples, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He was in it for himself. 
with the bent toward finances and money. And I believe in addition to this expectation that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set myself up financially to when the kingdom comes and Jesus sets up his kingdom and destroys uh, the Roman Empire, I, I believe it was unmet expectations that turned his heart to betray Jesus. That I ex- he expected Jesus to be that conquering Messiah. And when, as we're going to see today, when the conversations began to shift and there was a, a, a shift of, of how, what Jesus was saying in his heart, what was always corrupted, not following personally Jesus, he understood that there's no way that this guy is going to be the Messiah I expected. So whenever we have expectations that are not realized, realities down here, we have discouragement, frustration, and even anger as a result. So Matthew chapter 16 is a tipping point in the the ministry of Jesus. Earlier in Matthew 16, he's taken his disciples up north, north of the Sea of Galilee to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was the kind of the major hedonistic pagan worship center for that region. So Jesus takes his disciples up there and asks two questions that were recorded by Matthew. First question is, who do the people say that I am? And they said, well, people are saying you're John the Baptist. People are saying you're Elijah. Come back, you're Jeremiah, you're one of the other prophets. And then Jesus says a very penetrating question to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Every one of us needs to answer that question. And how we answer that question will determine whether we'll spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. Who do you say that I am? Peter jumps up. The impulsive Peter jumps up, and this time happens to be right, as the clock is always right several times during the day. And Peter jumps up and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Probably felt pretty good, because Jesus says, you're right. And And then Jesus says, oh, by the way, and you didn't come up with that answer on your own. God gave it to you. Kind of had to humble Peter again. Then the passage says things changed. The message changed. Look at verse 21 of Matthew 16. From that time on, meaning that experience at Caesarea Philippi, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed. And on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human Concerns, selfish concerns. Let me just state this obvious truth is this. It's following Jesus will be uncomfortable at times. If you're going to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, buckle up. There's going to be times where it's going to be uncomfortable. There's other times it's going to be pleasurable, excitable, and joyful. 
But following Jesus, and if somebody has never told you this, explained this today uh, to you, um, they've done you a disservice. Following Jesus is not going to be a walk in the park. It's going to be uncomfortable. And I believe Jesus made Peter uncomfortable with what he said. Judas wasn't the only one who had expectations. Judas wasn't the only one who was disappointed by what Jesus said, that I must go to Jerusalem, and I must suffer, and I must die. And I think when Peter heard those two things, his brain froze. He did not hear the best part is after three days I'm going to rise again. He didn't hear that by his response. Because to Peter... He could not comprehend, my Messiah is going to suffer? You're going you're to be killed? His brain is locked up like, no, that's not the Messiah I signed up for. I signed up for the Messiah to set up his kingdom, to crush Rome, set us free. And just complete logjam mentally, and then emotionally he reacted And it's the same reaction many Jews around the world today have with Jesus. When it comes to, is Jesus, is Yeshua, is he the Messiah? And they're like, no. Because that Messiah suffered and died. Our Messiah is not supposed to suffer. Our our Messiah is supposed to come and conquer and set up his kingdom and and kick some butt. and And the whole concept of suffering and being killed mentally is a huge obstacle for Jewish people to consider Jesus as the Messiah. I've been following a new, uh, subscribed on, on YouTube. Uh, it's called So Be It. That's what amen means, so be it. And it's Jewish people telling their faith story of have finally coming to the realization that Yeshua was indeed the Messiah. And the biggest, biggest stumbling block is the concept that he must suffer and that he would die. But if you would turn to Isaiah 53, written 740 years before Christ left heaven to come to earth, 740 years, Isaiah 53 gives 25 messianic prophecies in 12 verses, 25, Jesus fulfilled every one of them. Out of the 25 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, 16 of them was all about pain and suffering. That the Messiah would bear our sin and our iniquities, but it's by his stripes we are healed. He bore the pain and suffering of our sins. Very clear. And Jesus fulfilled all of them. Some of the lyrics to the hymn that I grew up with, sang it often in my church in San Jose, California, it's called The Old Rugged Cross. I'm going to read you a couple of parts of this hymn that you may remember if you remember that song. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. I mean, it was the picture. When someone went to the cross, suffering, shame, Pain, embarrassment. 
That's what Peter has, was having a problem with. Now, here's some other words of that song. Could you say these words and mean it? To the old rugged cross, I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly bear. Come on now, let's be honest. Could you say that, followers of Jesus? Or are you going, I don't want to bear shame and reproach, being laughed at, ridiculed. I don't know if I signed up for that. See, Jesus, what Jesus described to Peter offended him, appalled him. So that's why Peter pulled Jesus aside. Like, hey, can I talk to you? Come on, over here, we're over here. It's almost like he was the authority and I need to correct Jesus. And he rebuked him like, okay, I don't want to do this privately because this may be embarrassing. So I'm doing it privately. Come over here. Come over here. And, and it was like he had the authority to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus turned around and rebuked him. Get behind me, Satan, meaning you don't have the authority to say what you're saying. In fact, you don't, you don't have the heart of God in this. You have mere human selfish concerns. I believe Peter was uncomfortable with the thought that not only Jesus' friend that he loved and Messiah that would, would, would suffer and die, but what would it mean to him? If they're gonna beat him up, cause him pain and suffering and kill him, I'm next in line as like the number one disciple dude, rank-wise. What about me? I believe Peter was processing all of that. That's why Jesus rebuked him. Peter wasn't thinking about the things of God. I think he was thinking about the things of Peter. So today's message I'll tell you in just a moment. I'm going to pick it up in verse 20, 24. Jesus said to the disciples, now Jesus called another team meeting, everybody. And he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple, disciple means follower, whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, must, non-negotiable, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person, person according to what they have Done. It's meaning what they have done with Jesus. Who is Jesus? Either he's the Messiah or he's not. And the entire globe will, will be judged on that. Not by did you go to church? Not that did you read your Bible, which it's a good thing. Not that you memorize scripture, which is a good thing. What did you do with Jesus? And part of Jesus' message is as the Messiah fulfilling Isaiah 53, it involves pain and suffering and death. And he did that for us. He did that for us. Today's title is this, The Judas in Us, Trading Jesus for Comfort. 
trading Jesus for comfort, this hits more home than we want to recognize as living in America and living in Western civilization. Because that's all we strive for. That's like the American dream now, just be comfortable, easy. Now, I don't want hardships, I don't want challenges. I, I want comfort. And I believe the Judas in us, if we're not careful, we'll trade Jesus in for comfort when he's calling us to be uncomfortable. If you're taking notes, here's the central point. It's this, is are you willing, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you willing to die to self in order to live for Christ? Let me say it this way. You cannot live for yourself and live for Christ at the same time. That's why Jesus says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That is a mark of a true follower of Jesus. And the whole concept of denying ourselves, dying to ourselves, as an American, is like, no, 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 I, I, I'm to protect myself, I'm to feed myself, I'm to provide for myself, I am to uh, protect my image, and I, I need to make sure that I'm okay, and make sure that the number one goal of my life is to be happy and comfortable. That, the, that, to deny myself? I gotta say no to the things that I wanna say yes to, but I can't say yes to that and live for Christ? I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can follow Jesus and say no to what my friends enjoy, what I enjoy, but I know that Jesus doesn't want me to do those things. We have a choice. I have a choice. This is not comfortable. This is not comfortable. It's saying, God, I have my will. I have my wants, I have my desires. I have my expectations about you and about my life. And I'm gonna surrender those to you. Not my will, but your will be done. Not my wants, but what you want to be done. Not my expectations, but Lord, your expectations for me. I choose you over choosing me. That is contrary to being a follower of Jesus in America today. Are you willing to place all that onto the altar and really taking it to the cross so that you can live for Christ? I tell you, following Jesus is gonna be uncomfortable. And again, I'm not, I'm, not here to, I'm not here to depress anybody. I'm not here uh, to, I'm not, I can't even convict anybody. That's not my job. But I'm telling you, this is a warning. This is a shot across the bow. This is a look in the mirror type moment that we need. And come to the realization that living for Christ is uncomfortable. Why? Because all, all of us, for the most part, have lived, have grown to expect in the Western civilization of where we, which we live, is it's, it's comfortable to be a Christian. It used to be. Those days are going quickly. What's coming now, and some of you understand this, some of you get this, is in our face opposition to everything we believe, value, and hold dear. And you gotta understand, in our post-Christian America, what 
what I, I'll speak for myself as a follower of Jesus, what I hold dear, what I believe, and what I value is mocked and ridiculed in our culture. And for you to think, well, maybe it'll turn and it'll get better. Because why? Because we want it easier. We want comfort. I'm here to tell you, the closer we get to Jesus coming back, the harder it will be. The harder it will be. The less comfortable it will be. What I, what I loved working with teenagers for so many years, loved so much, is you give them a challenge and most of them are like, buckle up, let's go for it. I tell you, in this generation, there's not a, it's not a coincidence that we're seeing revival across our country with a, a Z generation because they've tasted um, purposelessness. They, they've tasted like there's nothing that satisfies. They've tasted emptiness, and that can only be found in Christ, and they're running to Christ. But they're going to pay a price for it. There's opposition. See, we used to say, hey, I'm a Christian, and people are like, oh, okay, cool. Now people are going to mock at us. You're going to post something spiritual online and get ridiculed. Like, seriously, you believe a book full of myths and lies and made-up fables? And that's one of the reasons why, there's several, one of the reasons why there's been so many people deconstructing their faith. Because they're getting challenged and they don't know how to respond. So they question their faith and go, you know, I don't think I believe anymore. Because it's uncomfortable. Because they're facing opposition, strong disagreements, laughter, mocking. I don't know if I signed up for this. Today, many are walking away because it's just too uncomfortable to deny myself, to pick up my cross and follow Jesus. Because I'm uncomfortable with, I have expectations about God and God's not meeting my expectations. I pray, he doesn't answer. Well, how come my friend still has cancer, God? Why don't you heal him? Why did you allow my mom to die? I mean, how, how come this, how come that? God, I have unmet expectations. I'm not sure I can follow you anymore. I have, I'm uncomfortable with opposition. I'm uncomfortable with ridicule. I'm uncomfortable, feel like I am standing alone at school. I'm standing alone in my home. I'm standing alone at my job. And it's just too much. If we're not careful, we'll trade Jesus for our comfort. The Judas in us will surface. There's a popular Christian phrase that I heard growing up and, and I've heard in ministry and it always rubbed me wrong. It just, I, 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 believe it's a fraudulent Christianese statement. Maybe you've heard this before. It's this, accept Jesus. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Didn't that feel good? Didn't that feel good? Accept Jesus. All your problems will be taken care of. And because God has a wonderful plan for your life. No, 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 no. God has a wonderful eternity planned. That's is priceless. That is worth giving your life towards. But there are millions of followers of Jesus ever since Jesus was here would look at this statement and go, you American wimps. 
Because I have accepted Jesus and my life has been anything but wonderful. I have accepted Jesus and I was kicked out of my family. I accepted Jesus and I went, and I went public with my baptism and I lost my job. I accepted Jesus and now I'm, I, I'm running for my life. Like one of our chaplains we just heard about, maybe you saw the prayer that we support, is being hunted down because he walked away from Islam. This is real life, people. We are in the minority, first world Christian problems here. This is not biblical. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And like, sweet. But don't remember, don't forget what Jesus said. He says, but I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. He says, people are going to hate you because they hated me. People are going to reject you because they rejected me. Again, I'm not trying to discourage you or depress you. I'm just saying a little, a little reality check. We started in January with a series called Warrior. This is a call for warriors to, to gear up and mount up and be prepared. Because we have a culture today that doesn't give a rip about our faith. And don't get angry at them. It's like getting angry at a blind person for not appreciating the sunset. We're facing opposition of evil and darkness, but that's, that's what the world has faced since Jesus went back up to heaven and he says, I'm gonna come back and take care of it all. This whole, I think this is fraudulent. But heaven, oh, that's a whole different story. We'll talk about that. Here's a true statement that applies to every single person that is hearing my voice. Whether you have faith, whether you have no faith, here's a true statement. Everything we gain in this world is separated from us when we die. Everything. Starting with, we're no longer breathing, we're dead. That may be new to you, all right? Just want to make sure that you're still awake. You are separated from life on earth when you die. Your identity doesn't mean Jack. But I had titles and I had fame, I had success. So, you're dead. Doesn't matter. Riches. This, the saying is true that there's no U-Hauls following your hearse. You can't take it with you. You know, you cannot take it with you. Uh, hopefully you're wise enough, prepared enough to, to bless your family with it. But if you don't take care of them, the government will say, then we'll take it from you. But you will not take this to heaven, to, to eternity, wherever you're going. You're going somewhere. And significance, impact, you made a difference. I don't know how many times I've heard in funerals or on the media when someone passes away, they say, you know what? Their memory will last forever. And the logic in me goes, eh, probably not. Probably not. We all have an expiration date. And it's just a handful of people that are known 100 years later. Other than that, it's It's gone. Now, let me give you another true statement that only, only applies to those who have said yes to Jesus and I'm following Jesus. This, this is a true statement. Everything we lose in this world is abundantly given in the next. 
Oh, we're talking eternal life. As a follower of Jesus, no more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrows, no more tears, no more doctor's appointments, no more inhalers, no more medication, no more oxygen tanks. The older you get, you're like, amen, amen, amen. Eternal life, free from all the pain and suffering in this life, in this body. Brand new bodies. It's amazing. Thank you. Our identity. When we get to heaven, we're not going to walk up to people and go, oh, you know, I used to do this, and I had this title, and I did this success. Because when we get there, anything that we have success here means nothing. All we're going to say is, you know what, I'm so glad I'm here. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God too. And we're all children of God. Then the riches, again, there's no ATM machines in heaven. Everything's changed. You don't need cash when in the New Jerusalem, when the streets, of, uh, streets in heaven are gold, okay? That just changes all paradigms. But I love what Ephesians 2 says. It says, in the coming ages, heaven, Christ will show us the incomparable riches of his grace. Grace is what we can't earn and we don't deserve. That in heaven, 10,000 years into heaven, we're going to go, oh my God, I, I'm still experiencing this. I get to do this. We get to experience that. I didn't earn this. I didn't deserve this. And God's like, yeah, but I gave it to you anyways. For by grace, we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. So in heaven, we're going to continue. We'll never, ever get old. The incomparable riches of God's grace. We're going to keep pinching ourselves going, oh my, oh my, I'm really here? Yes, because you said yes to Jesus. You placed your faith in a Savior who died and rose again for your sins. Significance? Well, you're going to have eternal significance because you're in the family of God. That's why Jesus said, what good is it? What good is it? For someone to gain the whole world, this temporary, broken, sin-filled world, you got it all. What difference is it if you gain all of that but lose your soul? You miss what's really important. You miss what's really waiting on the other side. For what? It's all going to disappear. That's why if you're, I'm talking mainly to followers today, but if you're not a follower of Jesus... All that I'm saying today is you're probably not going to go, man, I just can't wait to become a follower of Jesus because this is going to be uncomfortable. No, but I tell you, eternity without God would be everything times a million uncomfortable. Trust in Jesus as your Savior. Say yes to Jesus. Right where you're sitting, I'm a sinner. You came to save me. I can't save myself. I, by faith, trust in Jesus that he died, he rose again for me. You do that, your name's written in heaven. You're in God's family now with all the benefits that we'll experience in heaven, in heaven. In the 1950s, there was a group of young married missionaries that went to Ecuador. Their goal was to go find this, this, this tribe that was completely void of civilization, they were, completely remote, called the Aka Indians. And Jim Elliott, one of the leaders, said something that still has remained. He said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
that some of you are like, I haven't eaten lunch yet. I can't understand that. He's really saying what Jesus is saying about losing your life. He says, he is, he is no fool who gives to God what he cannot keep. I'm going to die. I got a little bit of time. I'm going to give it to him. I, I, can't, I can't keep that. To gain what he cannot lose. Real riches, real worth. That's why Jesus gave a contrast. That's why he had to go and suffer and die for us to pay for this. Pay for what he has for us. And Jim Elliott and four other couples went to, uh, went to Ecuador. And all five men early into their time down there were tragically and horrifically killed by the very people they're trying to love and reach. They were speared to death, acts. I mean, it was bloody. It was, it was horrific. So bad it made the national news, Time magazines, news reports. Because they're so young, so promising. They go there to help and they lost their lives in a horrific fashion. It would be normal for us to think that their wives with their little babies and their little kids would say, you know what, it is better for us to go back home. It is not comfortable, it's not safe to live here. Let's go back home where we have family and friends. Their wives refused to do that. Because in God's plan, God said, I want to use their wives and their children and they're the ones that eventually went and they shared the gospel of Jesus to these Aka Indians. And eventually the entire tribe accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. They denied themselves. They denied themselves. They picked up the cross of the calling that God had, not on their husbands only, but on their lives. Even they came out with a movie of some of their kids living today in that village that is still worshiping and following Jesus. They denied themselves. They gave up their lives. They died to self in order to live for Christ. Now, I don't, I don't know what God's going to call you to. It may not be their end. But following Jesus will be uncomfortable it will cost you something. We're going to talk about that next week. But you're going to have to wrestle with this choice. Am I truly going to follow the words of Jesus that said, a follower of me must deny themselves, take up the cross and follow me, wherever that may lead. Are you willing to do this? Not everyone is. But let me tell you, those of you who are, those of us who are, it will be worth it one day. Teenagers will be worth it one day when you, in the presence of Jesus, and you said, and you, said you know, it was worth standing alone in my crowd and say, I'm a follower of Jesus and no turning back. Parents, grandparents, the, the, the work environment that you're in, you're all alone. No, you're not. Jesus is with you. And he has strategically placed you there for a calling. 
You're going to have to die to yourself to live for Christ. It is worth it. Would you pray with me? God, you know exactly every single one of us and what we're facing, the opposition, ridicule for, for uh, saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. And our culture has turned on this, this whole idea and mocks it and ridicules it. And I pray for those who are standing alone and facing opposition, even in their own home, with their family. I pray that you give them courage and a warrior spirit to, to stand strong and still follow after you. Still love those people, but still follow after you. you love, they will love Jesus more. Lord, I pray that you would call all of us to, to resist the Judas inside of us that we want to trade our Savior in for comfort. What a horrible offer that would be. I pray that you encourage us to remain strong until you come back. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.